You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. Here we go. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All righty, guys. Welcome back to another Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and I am solo at the moment. This could be a kind of a cool podcast because what's going to happen today is I'm on my way to Oklahoma, and I am going down to meet one of our clients, and we're going to be reviewing a property, about 1,800 acres that is currently leased out and um, by our client, and he has just graciously invited Adam and I down to hunt this year and we're going to kind of give it a trial run see what the what the year and all brings this fall but we're we're essentially on a scouting mission today we're not we're not consulting but on a scouting mission and um, so what what this podcast is essentially going to be is I'm going to talk for a little bit kind of about um, the information thus far that we have and then I'm going to go and tour the property and then report back to you guys and then discuss some of the plans for this year going forward with that property. And Adam will join me at that 
portion as well. So this kind of going to be a split podcast, a little bit of a before and after, um, kind of again talking about what we know and then how that may or may not change once I actually get on the property itself and see exactly what we're working with um, and how we may kind of attack the season this year um, with our client and potentially Seth is going to come down and hunt with us here as well in Oklahoma. So man, we're, we're just pumped. We're, we're, we're ready to kind of get out of the state of Missouri, try something else for a fall. And we're excited to bring you guys that action. So we're going to start it off right here um, on the podcast and discuss what it is we're going to be hunting this year. Um, I'm expecting some good stuff. We, we talk up Oklahoma a lot um, in, in recent podcasts, but, uh, we're gonna have our, our hand at, um, hunting this year, this fall. So before we jump into that podcast, we got a couple announcements. Number one, be sure to enter the giveaway. Yeah, that's right. We've got a giveaway happening right now up until September 14th. Be sure to either subscribe or comment on one of our YouTube videos, that's how you enter to win. You've got to either subscribe or comment on one of the videos and you'll be automatically entered to win a Vortex prize pack, including binoculars, we've got some apparel, um, and then some of our own apparel too. So there's probably going to be multiple winners throughout this thing. We're not letting the cat out of the bag yet. We've got some other prize packs um, kind of developing now too. But before we get into the season, we've got to try and get as many people over to YouTube as possible to be able to follow along with the content that we're, guys, we're bringing you. We just released a, a TSI hinge cut video. Um, that's getting a lot of interaction, a lot of good reviews. So we appreciate those who have um, taken part already. But be sure to go over there and comment or subscribe and you'll be entered to win this giveaway. Again, it ends September 14th. Also, a lot of people are comment or are emailing in through the website for consulting. We're getting booked up here rather quickly for December on through the spring. So if you have interest um, in and doing that, kind of you've been you've been holding off, been waiting. Um, I would say throw your name in the hat. Get your name out there. We'll try and get something scheduled and on the books because um, those those dates are and schedules are filling up pretty quickly. So love all that interaction, guys. Just wanted to give you a few notes before getting into the podcast that we want to do a little shout-out. And a shout-out to First Light Gear. If you have not checked them out, check out firstlight.com. Guys, we're decked out in the um, apparel for this hunting season as well as right now I've got the Kurgit pants on as I'm headed down to Oklahoma to go and scout today on this property. Love the apparel whether it is some lifestyle active wear uh, being out in the in the woods or you're actually hunting and layering and prepping for the various changes throughout a fall. We've had incredible luck and success with wearing their their gear and um, definitely do yourself a favor and go check out firstlight.com all right guys here we are 
headed down to Oklahoma, got about 40 minutes or so left on the drive. And um, I just uh, beyond excited to, to truly get on this property and see it. You know, as soon as you kind of get the word um, from from the client Kobe, he's like, "Hey, here's a map. Here's some photos. Um, I'm going down to see it really for the first time too." But um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts? And, and initially, it's like, "Well." <laughs> 1800 acres in Oklahoma I'll see you there sir Um, but when you really start diving into the aerial and then hearing kind of what's happening what the land use is on this specific property it really gets you that much more excited um, because we're we're, we're looking at central Oklahoma Um, this property I believe the owner the current owner purchased five years ago or so and um, is a huge waterfowl hunter and so they've done impoundments they're um, transitioning this what was a cattle farm into um, a waterfowl paradise and you're like well guys aren't you you're talking about deer hunting this property how can the deer hunting um, be so good if there's such a focus on waterfowl well here's the thing you've got open fields that were all pastures um there has been obviously the impoundments, some, some moving of dirt, some levees and everything created. But outside of that, um, there's a lot of native pasture. There, there's about three miles of, of river frontage on it. And um, this is going to be just a, a huge learning curve for us all. But one of the, the neat things about it is although there's a focus from a waterfowl standpoint, there's a huge, during the growing season, large presence of, of crop fields. We've got corn, we've got milo, galfalfa is being planted on the property. Um, there's some moist soil management areas as well from the waterfowl perspective. Um, so there's ample food everywhere throughout the property from a native as well as what's supplemented for um, the flooding potential for ducks. So throughout the growing season, there, there's a ton of food and then there'll be a lot of other additional food um, during the fall. But Here's the thing you got to think about is when these fields get hunted, I mean, you hunted for waterfowl, you know, they're adding water into these areas. So essentially, you know, we're not expecting deer to be in those areas very heavily. So we've got the option or, or the opportunity, I should say, of having a lot of pinch points now. So when there's water put on this property, um, there's going to be a lot of places where deer aren't going to be. And that then creates the bottlenecks. That then creates the corridors. Since we've got, you know, some some man-made levees and everything to control some of the water that's being put on or taken off the property at various times, yes, there's going to be quite a few changes that, you know, we're probably going to have to certainly go through a whole fall of learning about However, we're going to have a ton of pinch points and and we can anticipate where those are going to be and work with the um, waterfowl hunter to see exactly what his plan is throughout the fall. But um, this is not just a complete 100% blank slate, um, 1,800 acres. There's a lot of things that are happening, a lot of variables that are thrown into the mix. And, And with all that being said, it creates opportunity from from a whitetail hunter to be and work with another, let's say, hunting entity that's got a different focus. Um, but working together, 
we strongly feel that it can help and benefit the whitetail side of things greatly. Uh, from the late season food sources that will be on the property. No, not everything is going to be flooded all at once and, and whatnot. So there, there's just an extreme amount of potential here um, on, on the property to benefit whitetails. That's whitetails. There's also a lot of hogs. And a lot of people are like, oh, gosh, how are you excited about hogs? Well, you know, from a management standpoint and from a um, landscape and, and from a impact of the landscape environment yeah hogs are not ideal when it comes to hunting opportunity sure i'm absolutely going to take advantage of that and so there's with with there being a um you know a large water source there on the property yeah we're going to certainly have hogs in that big corridor um with that with that stretch of of water going along the the property so um there's going to be the, also the opportunity to hunt and harvest hogs. So, you know, there, there's a lot of things to be looking forward to on this property and this opportunity that we've, again, graciously been given. Um, so we're, we're excited to be able to honestly just get on site. Um, there'll be drone photos you'll probably be seeing. There'll be um, just obviously some videos of, of what we're seeing today. I've got um, a truck packed with gear included are some cutting link cameras to stretch out across this property and this open landscape we're expecting to, to cover a lot of ground with with those cameras so um it's just going to be fun to see what happens throughout this fall i said um the opportunities from from over-the-counter tag situation is great and the flexibility of uh, being able to jump in the truck and and drive a couple hours and get to new ground and ground and landscapes that we haven't really been able to show you guys all that much. But with a with the ability to hunt this fall, we're able to spend more time on a property and showcase it. And um, it's just gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And I'm getting ready to meet Kobe down here, and um, that's that's essentially what I know of the property. Um, there's not that addition, much other additional details um, at this moment. So we're going to see as much as we can today. It's going to be a full, full day of being on the property. Um, probably get on the truck about dark and, and head back home. But we're going to get as much intel as we can and report back to you guys with some firmer plans of what's going to happen here as we get closer to that October 1 date, which is going to be... Oklahoma's opening day of bow season. And we'll kind of break down the seasons as well as we, we after we learn the property and kind of sh- let you guys know how the season breaks out and when we're probably going to be putting time into um, the drive to come down here and then the the windows in which we're, we're probably going to be hunting here. So stay tuned because we got more coming on this Oklahoma property lease with our good friend Kobe. So Hang tight. All right, here we are, back a couple days after the on-site visit. Yeah. Adam's here, another late, well, I don't say late night, but just our our common routine, kind of Sunday evening chill session. And um, then a couple days after, we've, we've had quite a few conversations about what was found on the Oklahoma property. And For quite sure. a bit more excitement now too buzzing around it after the the day that was spinning it was a day because it was 
early morning, late night, but hundred degrees. <laughs> 100 degrees. Yeah. Um, you were busy. I, I think I Chad. should say where I was yep. because it's not a uh, abandoned ship. But um, yeah, we, so had, we, we had to divide and conquer. Beca- yeah, and that, had, that's another good point. I had a uh, – yeah, you know, I talked a week or last week's podcast or two weeks ago. I can't remember. And I introduced that we had another another little girl. And uh, um, so I've been at home this entire time. And so, um, stuck, not stuck, but enjoying <laughs> the family, well, but also yes. towards the end, I was starting to feel a little bit like a caged tiger. Like, <laughs> Hey Maya, you want to, you want to go on a walk? Let's go on a walk. Yeah. Or let's go outside. How, just how old does she have to get before that walk turns into a drive that turns mm-hmm. into a drive to the farm? I haven't figured it out yet, Yeah, but, uh, so you left on Friday, and Thursday I was trying to knock out everything with Chad uh, to get all of our food plots planted. Yep. And we ran into a few hiccups with with the drill and everything, so um, we ended up going. I ended up going back on Friday, and so you went to Oklahoma. I went to the family farm. Well, and and we had a time crunch too because there was other people involved in Oklahoma, so that date was pretty much set out in advance, and yep. then. Pending rainstorms coming really quickly, yeah. And when it, kind of when you, you have, had to get them done. <laughs> the last four years, we have not had good rains no. in the fall. No, been either we got them in early August and we weren't ready yet, or didn't have the seed, or whatever, or we got them in late September and yeah. not enough time. And so mm-hmm. we got them in late August, and so I told Chad, I said, get whatever happens, we got to get everything planted because we're not missing this window. So we were able to fertilize and get all the seed in and get food plot sprayed. And so we hopefully, knock on wood, will have great food plots this fall um, on the family farm, the Prairie Hollow property, because of the time that even though I didn't get to go to Oklahoma, we spent more time at the farm making sure everything got got put in. It's it's that special time of the year where you do have to kind of prioritize things and yeah. when you got when you got rain coming in from tropical well i guess it was did it rain Laura. in oklahoma at all no no it's it was dry just, as bone out there isn't it? well they had been getting some rains okay but not from this hurricane um but yeah I, i'd got some stuff in on a couple days prior broadcasting um on that 160 property and just kind of set back i was like well there's several days in advance that have got some rain chances. We'll just see, we'll just see what happens. Um, but really, everything now is planted. There's been rain on it, and then a little bit more coming. Yep. And we've and got great temperatures. Weather. Yeah, great, weather. great That's growing the temperatures. Thing. How many times do we see seed go in the ground, a little bit of germination, and then it gets really hot? Really That's hot. That's what a lot really of people dry. dealt with yeah. this spring and summer. And yep, so here sure we are, and... Uh, we're just sitting back going, this might be good timing. I'm looking at the forecast right now on the weather app, and we've got uh, 80% tomorrow for a half inch. We've got 60% for four tenths. we got 40% for uh, three tenths, another 30%, and then the high on Friday without any rain is 77, low of 53. 78, 56 for Saturday. And then we roll into the next week, and we've got a 30% to 50% to 60%. I mean, it it's looking like a fantastic start from um, that germination, that first root sending out south, plenty of soil moisture, 
And I think that's another important thing. I don't want to get away from from the point of the podcast or the the follow-up here, but, man, that first beginning stages of a food plot, I think, are really important from getting that root set, Mm -hmm. getting it to where it can sustain um, itself within the root, I mean, the the soil profile and have adequate moisture to continue to grow, develop, even if it does turn a little hot. Um, But sending out where you've got ample moisture either in the ground or coming super super important absolutely well, we got a great start so, so chad and i planted on friday yeah and he was in that area doing some more broadcasts on one of our te- summer test plots uh that we tested with you know a lot of things but you know we planted pumpkins and you know basketball sized pumpkins and there's and and on down but uh he went back and planted some emerge over that yeah. just so we had a good cover crop and uh he looked at what we planted two days ago, and he goes, "It's already, it's already yeah. swollen, and some of it's already shooting off a little, a little it. root, trying to, trying to go." So perfect. That's the stuff that was just broadcasted. Yeah. So yeah, the stuff that's been in the ground, covered up, is probably advanced of that. And that was actually the stuff we brought. The very last thing we broadcasted on Friday cool. afternoon. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, man, that's exciting. It's exciting stuff. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll continue to get some rain. Hopefully, our listeners will get some rain. Yep. Or some of you guys, hopefully you'll get some drier weather because I know there's some <laughs> people that are getting too yeah, much rain. So um, anyway, so that's where I was. Yep. Now, um, you actually kind of teamed up with a client of ours yep. on this, a client that you worked with, uh, not me, if, so I've never Frank, even Frank met him. was along with uh, with me on this, this uh, original um, consultation as well to this gentleman, mm-hmm. um, his family's property. And so that was... A year ago, essentially, and um, from there, just obviously stayed in touch and developed a relationship. And um, and when he got the call on this property, he was like, "Hey, I'm going to need some people. You know, just kind of want to test this thing out year one. Thought of you guys. Would you guys want to come? I mean, we. I think I think I texted you or called you. I said, "Hey." We might have a hookup because we've been talking about Oklahoma for a while. Yeah, I don't think and you have to think very hard or listen very hard to realize <laughs> there was, there that we love Oklahoma. Yeah, there wasn't too many details uh, that he gave Actually, to me to throw hmm. back to you, and we were both looking at each other like, count us in. I don't know, <laughs> though. Oklahoma's there. pretty poor. All, all Like, the the hunting's pretty terrible. <laughs> I would I would much rather go to Iowa or Kansas or Illinois. Yeah. Don't even waste your time. Myself, but don't even look at it's it. It's kind of one of those where it's just like, eh, I guess we'll. Oh, shucks. Yeah. I guess we'll go to Oklahoma. Twist my arm, sir. Why don't you? Yeah. So, um, you know, we got the original aerial image. and So, the podcast is all about us going into this new lease, this new piece of ground um i don't know what all you said pre-show but it's a lot different than what we're used to here in the ozark mountains like if you look at the aerial images of my family farm prairie hollow property the 160 seth's farms there's the dominating factor is timber and you look at this one you're like (laughs) where is the timber what what is that like (laughs) And there's so many changes that have occurred from the original aerial photos, on the, and that change all the time. You know, th- this is a this is a larger um, 
it's, it's specifically managed for waterfowl. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of manipulations that happen throughout a given year uh, with the various impoundments and whether that's drawing down water, storing water, planting grain crops, or doing the mo- moist soil management. And then from from there, once those crops or or that native vegetation is growing, um, then water gets put back onto the property uh, in different stages with the migration. You know, you're trying to change all these things. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, I think the biggest, the biggest thing of, of learning just being on the property right out of the gate is there's, n- there's nothing that's extremely consistent on the property. And, and I think if everyone heard that, they're probably like, whoa, I don't, yo, I don't, that doesn't sound good, guys. But I'm sitting here saying, we know what the recipe it takes on a property to hold deer, grow deer, hunt deer, this and that from, from three, you know, 365. And we love changes and we love disturbances. And essentially, um, although it's managed for, for waterfowl intensively, that doesn't mean that it's bad for whitetails. And being on the property even more, despite it being vastly open, there was zero shortage of cover on the property. Yeah. Cover it's in a, the form of, you know, in, in Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, as soon as you really get west, I think, of, of Missouri, you really quickly find that an aerial photograph really doesn't mean all that much until you are boots on the ground. Until yeah. you hit, let's say, higher elevation, Rocky Mountain kind of stuff. Because you could look at this place and you'd say, yeah, I'm not wasting my time hunting that. Yeah. That's fine. Pass it by. But, but you spend you spend a day on the property and you quickly realize this has got everything that's necessary. Yeah. I, when you look at the aerial image, you see, I don't even know when the Onyx image was taken, mm-hmm. but it's like very buff brown like tan tannish color outside of the timber and you're like okay that could be a lot of things that could be fescue pasture that's burned up that could be bermuda pasture that's at the certain time of the year hadn't greened up yet um it could be native pasture we don't know and the thing because it's very similar it's not that far less than an hour from one of the clients i worked with in may and what their fields look like once you get to them, you think that there's giant oaks, like post oaks, mm-hmm. and and warm season grass. That's what the aerial image tells you. But then what you realize is there's a lot of shrubs. There's a lot yeah. of green briar. There's a lot of willows in the wet areas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of vegetation that doesn't quite show up on the aerial image because it's in a shrubby form or it's just not as dense. So it just is a little bit of a – it's a little speck on the map. Yeah. And – now, once you've been there, what you're telling is like, if you were to take a 40-acre section or a 100-acre section and just look at it in this brown area, you'd say, it's probably all warm-season grass mm-hmm. or it's all pasture, and there's not a stick for them to bet against. But then when you see it, you're like, oh, there's a willow strip here, or there's a little patch of plums there, or it's really tall switchgrass right there, and it's shorter grass over there. They can bed all over this 40 acres. All, all over. There, there's 
there's not a shortage right now of cover. Now, and I get it, you know, all these things are going to certainly change once we have, you know, that first initial hard frost. And then once some of these impoundments that, that are, um, you know, or some early successional more wetland species, once those are flooded, yep. you know, it's going to completely change the game. But again, at that at that time frame, you don't have... The, the basically the areas that are cover like truly cover from from the the willows some cottonwoods switchgrass um, green ash box elder all those things there might be a, a little bit of a little bit of that that is going to be potentially underwater but the majority of it is not and so they mm-hmm. don't really lose even though a lot of waters could be on. They're not going to lose a ton of cover, though, at the same time. Like those it's species, almost 50% would, of this farm is going underwater, right? Probably a little less than 50%. Yeah. But that still leaves a ton of room. And, and the food value, the resource that's there and offered on the place, the way it will be staggered out or, or we, we believe based on, you know, typical winter and typical migration of what they're trying to harvest, duck species-wise... We're, that that's going to be later into the winter when a lot of the larger ag fields are being flooded. So it has a ton of advantages. When that water gets put on this property, knowing how the layout is, knowing where some of the higher elevation, knowing where the cover is, I mean, it really just bottlenecks everything down. Yeah. And that's what, that's essentially what we saw. Took so you, what you saw was vast acres of a mix of native grass with willows, cottonwoods, box elders, but two big changes coming over the course of hunting season. Yeah. First big frost. Yep. Which a lot of that warm season vegetation, anybody's ever hunted like river giant bottom ragweed know. was yeah. everywhere. Like okay. once you get in like how the, tall? Depends on where you're at. So yeah, if you're if you're in the timber in like the bottomland timber portions, yeah. you're looking four or five feet. Yeah. But again, we know through past experiences, frost hits, boom, that stuff's gonna be laying flat on the ground. You'll be able yeah. to see, you know, for a good or long way. Just ways a stem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um but out in the fields themselves yeah, that's or the, where it the gets lar- its name. Giant. We're yeah. talking nine foot tall. Yeah. I mean I think a lot of times people People that aren't in the South mm-hmm. that have giant ragweed and they're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. They don't realize how big it can get. They're mm-hmm. like, why is it called giant ragweed? Well, because it can be ginormous. Yes. And, you know, we first experienced the over 10-foot tall stuff in Texas. North Texas, yep. And it was like, holy cow, that's a lot bigger than any giant ragweed I've ever seen, where it's almost like you need a you need a chainsaw to cut that stuff down. <laughs> you, yeah. Can you hinge about, cut giant ragweed? About as big as my thigh. I mean, yeah. it's, it was it was uh, very, very stout. And, um, I mean, it was everywhere. It what was, are it some was of everywhere. the other early secession um, wetland species? I know there's probably smartweed all over. There's smartweed absolutely all over the place. Some some, some cattail stuff. Yeah. Um, but then there was um, jewelweed. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, of some of the others. Is there any itchweed? Stinging nettle? I did not see any. Yeah. I did not see any. But, again, a lot of that, like, stinging nettle, you'll see that in, like, a lot of the shaded areas. We didn't spend a ton of time in the timber because there was a lot to digest in just, just the one day. So we, we took some journeys and stuff like that across across the river, 
um, hoofed it, but then quickly came back. It's like, okay, that if, if that's what that looks like, I can kind of apply, let's just say, that same principle to some of the rest of this yeah. stuff. Let's yeah. go cover some additional ground and kind of get a bearing as we move across this place. Um, but I, I guess, you know, it lived up or exceeded, truthfully, it exceeded the expectations of, of the information that was that was had prior to the visit. And then getting on site, it was like, oh my gosh, I can see this. I can see this really coming together. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think one of the, the biggest takeaways is, this might surprise people, knowing us, our history, and the, uh, if you will, the infatuation with manipulating the landscape that we have. And, yep. and and this this lease like the the owner's like hey if you guys want to try and you know do something as long as it makes sense like I'm kind of up for it I, I'd like to see I'd like to see some uh, some changes too I mean I'm I'm all for improving it so not that there's not the potential and the option for things yeah but truthfully and honestly knowing Isn't that the same I guess so <laughs> I this is doubly important okay. I don't want to do a dang thing to it right now. And mm-hmm. Someone's like, wait, what? There is so many potential variables going into this type of a property without knowing, you know, the duck hunters, those the pressure that's going to be put there, um, when these fields exactly are going to be flooded, how that's going to relate to the, the food availability, um, all these different things, it would be silly to try and go and do and make some more permanent suggestions right out of the gate. This first year is going to be a very, very much so an observation, study, watch, then get in and, and, and spend your time really hunting deer once you know what's happening. And I think that, you know, again, with this property, it's not like the Ozarks. It's not like Middle Tennessee. It's not like Central PA. Some of these places that are going to be hunting, you know, you're going to get up in a tree or even in a willow, and you might be able to see for 600 yards in three different directions. So you're going to be able to witness and see and observe the way deer are utilizing the landscape, utilizing some of the very distinct corridors across the property, and you watch that an evening or a morning and an evening, then you go in and you strike. You know, there's many of those portions across the property that allow a hunter to be able to do that. And with with the access, um, I mean, tr- truthfully, we might be driving some across this property, but we may actually be taking a boat in through many portions of the property, getting dropped off by a boat, and and hunting just on the riverbanks and ninety percent. I just looked it up on okay. on X. Ninety percent of this property does not change in eleva- elevation oh, yeah. more than twenty feet. Correct. Yeah. I mean, what what's the other elevation? What sixty? So maybe uh, about a hundred. Hundred. Okay. Yeah. So in the very east and the very west, when it kind of gets out of that mm-hmm. bottom, it gets uh, it moves up about a hundred to hundred and fifty feet. In, in, and honestly. Let, let's. That's a great painting a picture. Ninety percent of this property has zero elevation change to it. It is flat. It is um, therefore then a little difficult to know exactly where a deer is going to walk when everything is six foot to eight foot tall outside the crop fields. Like once you get in there, 
there's not really pinning deer down until there's water then put on the property. They're not going to be, they might cut a little corner or, or cross a ditch or something like that, but they're not going to be walking across, you know, flooded, knee-deep water on a routine basis. They're going to stick to the dry land and these corridors that are across the property. So, until that really happens, they're, they're everywhere. Like, they could be walking here, they could be walking there. There's just not that many defining features. And I think that, to some people... They could look at it and say, well, this is just frustrating. I don't even know where to begin. That's that's the whole point of the podcast is don't be overwhelmed by it. I, I would say yeah. be be enthused by it because this property, no, it doesn't have a ton of hunting pressure in the years past from on the whitetail side of things. So it's got years of, of a developed mm. age structure. We, we kind of can know and expect that. It's kind of routine of, of Oklahoma anyhow plus the, the reduced or below average hunting pressure, it's going to have those deer. Plus, it's got, right now, throughout the growing season, tons of cover and tons of food. Yeah. So it has what it needs. The biggest thing or the biggest question left in the in the puzzle is where and when do I hunt? And I think really the only way to figure that out with the variables that we've talked about already the only way to do that is just to get out there and spend some time. And it's not only in a tree stand, but it's time glassing and watching. Yeah. There's two things that I said, and I got one of them, but, and I want to finish a thought. But number one being frost. So the frost is going to hit at some mm-hmm. point, and early successional plants. And some perennial plants will fall down yeah. over time. And then the other one is when they start pumping in water and flooding out the, yes. the impoundments. Massive Those variables. two changes are going to greatly... Right now, when you walk out there, it looks like a jungle. Oh, yeah. Um, there's tall vegetation everywhere. But when you add in the water, it's really going to bottleneck deer. And then you add the frost, which some of the tall stuff will fall over. And you'll only see the more rigid, the more um, durable plants and shrubs stay standing. It will create more bottlenecks across the farm mm-hmm. to where once that happens, you'll be able to key in. And what you don't want to do and what we make sure we won't do is overpressure the farm before that stuff happens, trying to find bottlenecks that aren't existing. At that then point. when they finally do exist, you've yes. already pushed deer into other places. And yeah. that happens way too often for people hunting new farms. I think, yeah, yeah, totally. I think I think a lot of people, let's just say your, your season opens up in September, October 1. You're like, I have got to figure this farm out before November yeah. 1st. Well, guess what? Everything changes November 1st anyhow. Yeah. Learn the... In that, this is why I think just general woodsmanship is, is honestly sometimes trumps some scouting because it's like, I'm not going to throw that much pressure on it because, again, that whole rut situation is a whole other variable that, that yeah. changes and manipulates things. So I just yeah. need to know, like, okay, I need to learn the land. And then, and then from there, once I have the knowledge of the land, I just apply that to when to hunt not only do deer start mature bucks start to move more late october through the rut and just spend more time traveling and running and chasing and cruising but they also move more during daylight so a deer should totally be on the property right in where you found him or where you anticipated him to be but he only moves after dark and you've jumped around and hunted so much trying to find him during daylight that you think that he's not moving in that area and it's just a simple fact that he doesn't move during daylight in that area correct and so uh 
we burn too many properties up. And so as we move into this property and we're hunting it um, for the first time, it's going to be a very, okay, let's set the edges. Let's do the observation. Rather than scout during the summer like crazy, because it would be difficult to scout during the summer um, with all the tall vegetation and the crop, the food sources changing, but we'll be scouting it through the fall, observing, and then if we can figure out a pattern and it's so open, there's a very good chance we might even find one. We might even see him go bed down in a little pocket of willows and be like, all that right. is extremely likely. We're going to get right there as close to that pocket of willows as we can. And doggone it, we may even find a situation where we can get in close enough during the middle of the day and move it in there and take a shot on him. Yeah, oh, yeah. I Depending mean, it's, off it's, it's archery it's or possible rifle. And, and that's a that's a situation of, or or, or or let's say the phase one of, of learning is, is a lot of observation. And, and I think that needs to be the first step for, for a lot of people when they get a property is, is observation. That comes in the form of whether it's trail cameras, they're out there 24-7 doing some surveillance. But then also, again, with an open, open landscape like this property is, use your eyes. And yeah. we're going we're to we're then go back, you know, collaborate with what you saw, what I saw, what other people saw, and, and, and formulate some plans Without a doubt, right now, there's there's still several portions of the property that, that aren't going to be underwater, that have got the right density. We know those areas are going to be hot spots regardless every portion of the year. Truthfully, from there, there's a lot of pinch points that connect into those areas. So those are really going to be kind of, if you will, American, the, the, the term sanctuary, those really aren't going to be dive in October and just hunt them. We're hunting deer around them and on the fringes and, and, and learning from those focal areas and, and working them outside to in, essentially. But with that much of an open landscape and then a lot of water being put on the property, Oklahoma's unique. Archery season comes in the 1st of October, runs till January 15th. But then they've got a, about a week-long muzzleloader season at the end of October, Runs to November, bow season comes back in, and then they've got, I believe it's a two-week gun season late, later in November, and I'm not too proud to shoot one with a rifle or muzzleloader, and I can tell you this property sets up extremely well for both of those situations, not only from a hunting the corridors, but also hunting a, a spot stock. There's so much cover on the ground, despite it being very flat, and some of these irrigation ditches that you can use that vegetation and some of these ditches to navigate yourself in front of um, these deer. I mean, it, it is, it, from, a, from a rifle season and from a muzzleloader standpoint, on the, even on the ground, you can get in front of deer. So that's going to be another just kind of wild card thrown out there. Hey, if we need to get down from a stand and, and make a move on a deer, we might just do that. We yeah. just don't know. But the property allows for that, which I think is a cool a cool wild card to throw in there. Yeah, I feel totally like we're hunting defensively when we manage offensively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, uh, at, the, at our leases and farm. It's like, okay, we do all this. We're trying to put deer here in this bedding thicket and catch them in this food plot or catch them in this travel corridor. 
pretty much here is like, okay, we're just going to study their natural movement and capitalize on them if we yeah. can. Yeah. And between all the natives, all the water, all the natural landscape, naturally occurring landscape, um, there's still a lot of bottlenecks and there'll be a lot of observing. A lot of time. That's one thing. P- people ask us a lot, too, about vortex or ab- about our optics and, yeah. you know, how often do we use them. And, like, when we hunt in the Ozarks, like, most stands that we have, we can probably only see less than 100 yards. I'll say this. I always carry binos with me, of course. Yeah. But I don't wear them. No. I, I put them either on the outside of my pack or I hang them in the tree. So if the situation arises that I need to grab them to be able to see what's happening, yeah. I can do that. But it views are limited so much that I don't wear it that readily or that close to like my chest where I can just grab it and look up. Like when I see movement, it's like take two more steps and you're already at 60 yards. I'm going to be able to know what you are. Exactly. But yeah. here... Here I'll be wearing them on our chest. Completely different. And probably looking most of the time through them. Yes. uh, As we're watching out across the landscape. I mean, we're going to be... And there'll probably be a time I bring a spot and scope to the... Oh, yeah. From what you described, it'll be like, I'm going to bring a spot and scope tonight. There's places you could see over a thousand yards. Jeez. Easy, easy, easy. And, and, um, I mean, there's a couple... I, I, I'm going to say it because I know at some point someone's probably going to give it a whirl, but there's a couple giant sycamores um, with a lot, a lot, quite a bit of branching and everything and at a normal tree stand saddle height, let's say, yeah. but overlooking 60, 80 acres of um, switchgrass. And I'm like, deer, deer in there. They, the, the, our, and this our is naturally occurring switchgrass. Yes. Yes. Big, like, can low switchgrass, like the seven foot tall stuff. Oh, yeah. It never falls. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's tall and Illinois bundle flower all through it too. Uh. Um, but so it's, it's not too dense. Eh, it is it a lot like the place in depends southern Oklahoma that we turkey hunted, in in some yes. of his yeah yeah where there's really dense stands for maybe thirty yards pockets. and then pockets that's yeah. not yeah. So you're gonna be able to see in glass and look out across all this. I mean I'm fully anticipating you know you see the shine and reflection of sun on antlers. You're like oh what's that? Sure enough, there's a buck doing his thing. Kind of, but, like, you could be able to glass and look and hunt all up in that yeah. um, pretty securely. So it, it's just going to be a whole lot of fun. And, again, the, uh, the point is not to just go in there, If excuse the phrase <laughs> or the pun, but guns a-blazing. It's work outside to in, know the area, know what's going to – Know your variables as much as possible, and then and then move in and attack from there. So, I th- I truly think it's going to be fun. Yeah, and I don't mean that like just before we know, wrap it up haphazardly. Going to be? Do you anticipate hunting hunting gear situation? Yeah. Um, from what I've heard, it sounds like we're going to be in a saddle way more than a tree stand. Because, 110%. Because it sounds like there's a lot of twisted up willows that aren't probably real tall. Or if you can, there's post oaks, there's mulberries, there's box elder stuff. Yeah. That, um, so that yeah, I mean, you're packing light and trying to get up. 15, 12, 15, 18 foot, and, and some yeah. of the timber stuff. Yeah. I think it's about all, all you're going to be able to afford and get into um, height wise. It sounds like, uh, you know, this is why. We 
we hunt most of our time on public or on private ground. And, you know, the saddles have become really popular on public ground. And we started using them because it's like, I could see using these on private ground a lot. Oh, and this is exactly it, where it's like, you're you're trying to figure it out. You don't know where the deer are. We don't know where the deer are. The first time we go out there is going to be uh, a, throwing a dart at the wall and just hope yeah. that it sticks. Is like, okay, we're just going to go observe. Mm-hmm. And we can get high and we can be comfortable and not have to haul a 10, 15, 20-foot pounds or 20-pound stand. And then, truthfully, fight it trying to get in some of these crooked, gnarly, twisted, branching trees. Again, we're going to be hunting some willows that are are roughly thigh-sized, and they're going to have to work, and we're going to make them work Um, because that's where the deer is, deer are, excuse me, and that's where the dry water, the dry ground is going to be. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a different ball game, but you work with what you got, and I think that's why having some of that versatile equipment in your tool bag is what's going to make successful hunts versus kind of sitting on the outside of um, where you'd want to be because trees are limited. I don't play that game. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to get after it get out there. Season starts October 1, I think, yeah. right? Yep. So we'll be out there at some point in October. Yep. And You've uh, been in a whirl. Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, hopefully this will, as people, as we kind of shift, and it's not going to be two podcasts a week devoted to habitat. It'll be one, and it may be two during certain times of the fall that are devoted to hunting strategies or hunting situations or hunting gear that we're using, what we really like. But we're going to be shifting into this strategies game of, of hunting, and, and Oklahoma will be a big big topic for, this, for us this fall. Yeah, here's, I'm very, very hopeful I know you've been talking to Seth. I've been talking to Seth. Um, and Chad's going to be hunting a lot. Seth's son, Trace. Man, we're gonna, I'm just excited for the fall period. I feel yeah. like, honestly, we're very prepared, which <laughs> normally time. normally we're not <laughs> that well prepared for our own seasons. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of good a lot of good uh, chemistry. A lot of good. Uh, I guess you'd say like anticipation and a lot of good opportunities when it comes to deer out there. Yes. That we've got to be able to chase. So I'm excited to be able to film it and bring it to you guys and talk about it here on the podcast. Hope you guys will follow along with it pretty, pretty intensely and closely because Chad's going to be on here. Seth's going to be on here giving their commentary, their updates. Kyle and Frank are going to be hunting as well. And so who knows what's going to happen. For sure. Well, guys, be sure to go check it out. Uh, on our YouTube channel, yep. Matt told you about the giveaway we're doing. Yep. So head over, subscribe, start commenting or continue commenting. Um, man, it's going to be awesome. And I know one thing, uh, it's still not too late to be planting food plots. So if you do, no. if you do have some food plots uh, that you, whatever, failed or you just haven't got around to it, it's not too late, especially for you guys down south. You can check out go GoStratonSeed.com or check out our website, ShopLandAndLegacy.com, to see all the blends from Legacy to Bounty Hunter, Revival, Emerge, Cattleman's Treasure, um, all the different blends. We planted a lot of Legacy, Bounty Hunter, Revival, and Emerge. Mm-hmm. We didn't plant any Cattleman's this, this fall. We planted Bounty Hunter, and Legacy was the majority. And, man, I'm excited. Hopefully... This fall will be the first time, and not the first time, but the first time all the food plots will look great. 
in the past, it's really only been our bottom fields the past two years because of horrible rains that or and, lack and, thereof. And and some some of it just time, too. Yeah. I mean, it, we're just trying to run and gun and do as much, but, but we've been fortunate enough to be able to be home and uh, this last portion of August and, and going into September and, and many of the months ahead. So, woo, we got a fun... We got a fun fall ahead of us. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next week.